0: show podcast it's time time to bring you
1: yet another amazing episode And and now Welcome
0: your host, Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. Enjoy the show.
2: Hello, hello, it's today's Rewind Show podcast with me, Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. Uh, welcome along to today's episode. I've got an absolute belter for you. Um, before we go on, um, if you can, if you can like and subscribe for me, that'd be great, whichever platform you've got and give it a cheeky share or just tell your friends about the podcast. That'd be amazing. I'd really, really appreciate that and I'd owe you a cup of tea. So I finally got my finger out and I've sorted out all my media. So if you want to contact me, if you've got a suggestion for a guest or you just want to say hi or you want to give me some suggestions about anything or just want to say hello, uh, you can get me at the831show at gmail.com. That's the831show at gmail.com. And I'm sure whichever platform you want, there'll be a clickable link to the email. Don't be afraid to say hi. I love talking to people and I'd love to talk to you as well. Right, today's guest, absolute belter for you. Uh, Nick Haywood from Haircut 100. I had a lovely chat with Nick. And we were discussing the uh, the name Haircut 100, what it means and where it comes from. Uh, we were also discussing the album Pelican West and the pressures that came with Nick, writing pretty much a lot of that. What's nice as well, we got to speak about, um, you know, just generally music and what the influence of music meant to us as young kids uh, and the power of music. We spoke a bit about that as well. Anyway, I'm not going to waffle too long because we want to get to the interview. Don't forget, like and subscribe if you can and tell all your friends about it. That'd be absolutely amazing. And if you want to get me, it's the 831 show at gmail.com. And one more time, because you need to grab a pen. Yeah, the show at gmail.com. Anyway, Nick Haywood, let's get to it. So, um, music. Where did it first come into your life? Uh, music was just always around the house,
1: you know, just like frying pans were and uh, letter boxes. Very important. It's been letter boxes have been very very important in in my life <laughs> because uh, my first port of call uh, with with the outside world and the TV was outside of my letterbox. I could see Bunty from Hal. It lived, lived across the road. You know, and so it was like, she was on the telly, but she was also, you know, out of the letterbox. Because um, I, I wouldn't, like, just stand in front of her house. I would always peek out of the letterbox. <laughs> and, uh, and after a while, I got, I got to, um, she gave me a lift to school um, in her old, like, car that was like an old Lancaster and uh she was very kind of come on come on children get in the car uh you know i don't know what she was doing living on this 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 where it was because this was like a little modern housing estate you know but you know bunty from house did live in you know this not such great area you know across the road from the station it was weird but uh yeah so music and uh, and kind of the tv and stuff was very close very close by Tony Hatch used to live up the road as well I don't know why people from music and the TV lived around the area but you know we w- everybody in Beckenham just had this beacon of David Bowie you know it was like David Bowie was the shining light over everybody you know it was like he was he was a god in the area you know David Bowie he lives in the area he lives you know everybody's trying to find out where he lives um and we you know we we thought we did and we you know it was just any house that looked weird, you know, it's like, that's,
2: that's his house. That's his house. <laughs> Funny if in my town, Bob Geldof lives here and we do the same thing. We go, that must be Bob's house. <laughs> yeah. And then a week later, like, that must be Bob's house. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's celebrity house spotting. Like.
1: <laughs> yeah. And some sometimes they are what you think they are. They're enormous. But other times, like myself, it's like, oh, the, he lives in the shoebox down the other road. Look at that. I never thought of that. That's a strange one. You know, so this was Bunty from Hell it was a, in the in a in a shoebox across the road. Wow!
2: And then there was a lot of music yeah. around the house. You were saying jazz, yeah, uh,
1: jazz, big bands. Dad's especially into into that, and Mum was more into the carpenters. But Dad, Dad just loved jazz, and uh, you know, t- he took me to see. Um, I don't know why he took me. Um, yeah, it's it's strange, and maybe maybe my brother wasn't around or something or. I remember mean, just we just went to see Count Basie, Ray Charles, and Oscar Peterson, and we were for we the last two tickets or something because we were right at the back. But it was just just amazing to be in contact with with those guys. But I just took it as this is this is music, you know. This is what it this is what it sounds like. It sounds otherworldly, really, really complicated. And how on earth would you ever consider doing this? So it was just not what I considered doing because it just looked. Yeah, you'd sit in front of a piano and you'd look at it and go, you know, too it's complicated. I remember finding a double bass in uh, my auntie's loft, and uh, and just kind of staring at it and you know, going for hours. And I just thought, how do you get anything out of this? How does music appear out of this? You know, because you'd go and see, you'd hear dad's music, and it was just. You know, and you, I was just staring at this double bass, and, uh, and I still love the double bass. I just love everything about it. The sound of it is, you know, when I first heard the, the double bass in classical music on Christoph Mahler's Fifth Symphony, the Dagi over Strings, you know, Death in Venice, and it's just when it, it, it's this kind of overlapping kind of, it sounds like gentle tide. You know, and it's just the way the strings come in, but then the bass comes in, double bass, and it just,
2: <laughs> just moves. And
1: you, yeah, uh, and yeah, no, I've I've been trying to make music that has moments like that. In you know, I, I didn't know how to create it. You know, you get a band together, and that's not going to happen. You know, you don't you can't get that going. But the more you learn about music, the, the more you can now even sit at home, as as I do you've just got all this stuff and so you so I'm creating those moments you know even just for you know for my personal files you know just lo- loads of double bass going <laughs> and strings you know oh, loads of string
2: things and stuff you go they're like oh he's at his bass again leave him alone yeah. <laughs> he's in his room leave him
1: yeah I'm really I could really be happy just you know in a loft <laughs> listening to bass double bass all day <laughs> <laughs> I love it so
2: where did guitar come in for you was it was it just an easy instrument to pick up was it an, an instrument that was around for you hmm uh well my biggest influence was next
1: door in my brother's room because he had he was a guitarist um I was the organist of the yes uh that was my first instrument uh a little red organ uh that only had uh, like seven notes it was like a mini move but it was red uh But it sounded awful. I mean, I would literally sit there and go, you know, it it didn't, it, it wasn't inspiring, but I thought, well, I can't be a guitarist. My brother's a guitarist. Um, I'll be the organist. See, I was thinking like a band even then. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, I've always wanted to start bands, to be honest. (laughs) And, uh, but it it was, uh, Pete taught me D, D major, and I was off. After that, it was like ah, then then C came and then G and then fantastic day. That was it. I was off, and uh, and I couldn't learn songs well. And I, I remember, so I was went straight into making up my own, right from the off. That was it. So you
2: started writing, writing from an early age, pretty much.
1: Yeah, because I just started making up stuff because I, I just it was always the way. I, I even with art, I just thought, okay, I'll. I just started drawing. But I didn't, you know, I didn't have any training, but you just thought, oh, I can, you know, I saw dad doodling. He 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 did a good Superman, dad. And uh, so I, I was like, oh, that's good. To, to, right. And then I just learned to do that. So I just had a sort of a fist of Superman, you know, um, and that's all I could draw for, for years, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but I drew it really well. Um, and then same with music. I just got D together. A D, C, and G, and and um but fantastic day actually didn't come uh, straight away. It, it came when I le- I, would, I learned to play and sing at the same time. That's when that came. So that was that thing of I've got to sing something now, you know. Because at first I was just into making up guitar melodies. You know, I would have probably just if I'd have found a singer, I would have been like Johnny Marr probably just. Making up mu- little musical ideas.
2: You've got an amazing style. It reminds me of Nile um, Roger from Chic. It's like chicken scratch, he calls it. You've kind of mm. got that sort of chuck, chucking, chunking kind of playing. If you say, like a rhythmic playing, and uh, mm. it's an unusual style for you know. it Just it seemed to have come out of the seventies as, as a style. But I noticed when I was listening to um, the albums, like you've got that sort of style, and I love that style. It drives it like the drums would. Well,
1: it's it's a it's a lovely style to to have picked up because you know. Um, the, well, the, the first time, in a similar way, I was listening to Johnny Marr talk about this and because uh, his was Hamilton Bahamond, Disco Stomp. And that was the same record that I heard, first heard that guitar and thought, what is that? What is that? What's that rhythm, hypnotic rhythm? Uh, and I remember playing it on the B-side of Favourite Shirts to a song called Boat Party, where it's just got this everybody do the disco stump you know that song just lovely and I remember when I first heard that in a club it just it was Azalea Hall uh in Beckenham and I was just kind of wow the whole place the bass as well it was just it was moving like this to this brilliant song. and when you when you see people dancing it does something to the music forever I, I feel like like I will always associate that that song with, with halternecks, <laughs> you know, and uh, and budgie jackets and round toed shoes, <laughs> you know, all standing in line, all dancing together, you know, just in unison. There's a, a moment that's just there, an imprint. And uh, I think that's what music does. It really, it, 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 it makes an imprint, you know, like, like Count Basie did that, that moment, like, like later when Punk came out, you know, XTC, the, the Greyhounds in, in Croydon when they you know, played Neon Shuffle, it was a moment, you know, when the jam came on stage, the electricity that they, they first had, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're moments that just kind of, they're there. Strong imprints. But
2: everybody gets in sync in the same room as well. It's a really unusual thing. I mean, nowhere, nowhere nowhere on your scale have I ever witnessed it. But I used to DJ in a club for a while and I remember one day I was playing a, a house track that was very popular. So like you do as a DJ, I said, Make some noise, you know. And I remember the whole yeah. room screamed at the same time. There was I think there was seven hundred in or something like six, seven hundred. Oh,
1: that's great. And, but
2: I remember that that feeling of the sound moving at me and it terrified me for a split second. I was just like, oh, I don't like this. You know what I mean? And then and then all of a sudden I was like, No, this yeah, is awesome. Yeah. Well, same with, like a wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You
1: know, I mean, don't mess. You know, with nature, but you know, I don't know if you've ever been devoured by a wave.
2: Yeah, I just said yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, when it takes you, you just got to go with it. There's, there's no fighting against the yeah it's, nature. It's just crazy. Just know?
2: like that, that volume and all the air moving at me, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, oh, it's power, isn't it? it, it? It's it, really powerful, and it was, it was really frightening, and. um yeah, you. but yeah, it's just exactly that. Just I've, 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 yeah, I've been there. That that when you're at a gig or when you're doing something and someone, everyone just locks at that one split second, and it's just yeah, it's incredible. And you could lift cars with that. I swear to God, if you all lifted a yeah. car at the same time, you would throw it in the air. It's. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I,
1: super, S- superman. You're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. It's a, it
2: does make an imprint on you, and you don't forget music. You know, I don't, I remember my first gig still to this day. You know, it was some um, Spinal Tap at the Royal Albert. Hall. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> 1992. Yeah, and it was not only that's amazing. A- they played brilliantly as well. So
1: yeah, that's he's they're, they're brilliant musicians, aren't they? And and um, Derek Smalls is is. Like a brilliant, all of them are just, uh, you know. I know it's, I know it's a, you know, parody and stuff and the satire, but they're actually really brilliant musicians too.
2: Yeah, I was standing in front of um, Christopher Guest, like Nigel Tufnell. He was literally like two seats away as well, so I could see him playing the guitar, like, and his note dexterity is amazing. He's an amazing player, and um, that was the, he's
1: yeah. he's the real muso in the band, isn't oh, he? Hundred
2: percent. And they were just they were really funny. The band sounded amazing. They had uh, Albert Lee guesting on guitar as well. So, uh, you know, I remember, I can remember the smell of the seats at this. This much much much, tell them. (laughs) Albert Lee. (laughs) If he's lucky. (laughs) But yeah, so Spinal, so I know what you mean. Yeah. Once you see the first one, it's amazing. And then, so guitar wise, um, is it Gretsch you used to play a lot of? Um, Well, my first was uh, Telecaster because I was so into Quo. Um,
1: uh, I was into early Quo, like, you know, down, down, and Caroline, and all the all the like basic rock. Because I was really into basic rock, like Quel Um I wasn't into Led Zeppelin, funny enough. I wasn't into sort of avant-garde rock. I was into just real basic rock. And was something I really liked about it. You know, when Down Down kicks in, you know, have got this very simple riff, down, down, and and they said. Yeah, all their songs start off with this really simple riff. And then the when the drums kick in, ba- again, it's that. And then the bass is, is is there when suddenly the bass kicks in. And um, I can still listen to that now with the same, it's like as fresh as a daisy. Absolutely. I will never get bored of that song. And same with Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, first time I heard that, it blew my head off. I <laughs> couldn't believe how beautiful music could be nobody had nobody had ever heard anything like that before it was out there it was really out there i mean i thought the seven seas of raya was i loved that song but um and that's what i, I kind of that got me into music first because i just thought I loved, I loved intros really how they just it's a bit like still now i mean i like books that have great intros as well um you know uh and and songs just that whole thing Seven Seas of Rye had a brilliant intro yeah that piano is crazy it's, yeah you know and just just beautiful harmonies and is this the real life is this just fantasy I mean what an opening line to a song as well I mean asking a question you know to start a song I mean you know we get songwriting nowadays that doesn't particularly venture down alleyways ways like that No, nobody can make Bohemian Rhapsody on a laptop it's just an impossible thing Um, and if it was made on a laptop how would it sound it would probably you know it would definitely be kind of (laughs) do 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 recorded click track to death it will be all in all in time (laughs) just in case you wanted to reprogram something
2: (laughs) mind you they did do it over five studios so they did sort of (laughs) shop it well yeah that's another thing because there there was You know,
1: it's a band, it's recorded over five studios, it's recorded over time, probably when they were touring in between. So you'd come back with a different perspective. Freddie would probably take a rough mix home of this bit and then somebody would come up with another bit. And, you know, all the suggestions. I mean, that's the whole thing about, because I've watched pop records being made, because before I, I made pop records, I just heard them. So. You know, I was just one of the sort of like young people that then went in with the experienced people and the experienced people showed you how to do it. You know, like now I'm at that age where, well, I've been at that age for a long time, but, you know, (laughs) where I can show the youngsters what they can, you know, this is possible actually, because, you know, you show them structure and, you know, they they show you a new perspective on life, you know, and a new angle on things. You know, you show them, you know, the basics. Like if without... Bob Sargent, meeting Bob Sargent, who was the beat producer, who was the first producer I met, and you know the way he saw the soul because Love Love Plus One was, I mean, favorite shows was different. It was kind of similar. There wasn't much change. Uh, well, I say that much. Uh, it was it's tightened up, but uh, Love Plus One particularly because it didn't used to go da 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 da. It just didn't do that. It was like it. felt like this beautiful line that went, dadudu, 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 you know, it was really nice, sort of um, reflective, kind of after it. And uh, there was no like, ding, 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 It was more like Talking Heads. It just like chugged in, like, you know, I a wealth to the right. You know, because I was a huge Talking Heads fan, um, and that's the the beauty of the influ- influences. Because you know, you just because I was a Talking Heads fan, if there would have been six Talking Heads fans in the band, we would have sounded like an exact replica of Talking Heads. You know, and you see that with bands like uh, Fleet Foxes have got. You know, you can you can hear a slight Beach Boys in there now. But, you know, at, at first, apparently, they were they were just such Beach Boys fans. They sounded like the Beach Boys and Elliot Smith because they loved Elliot Smith too. So they just, that's what they sounded like. And then it was that moment of maturing and going, okay, well, we're not just going to be derivative of this. We've got to be our own band. So that's when the kind of voices and this sort this, this eerie chapel sound started to come in. And that's when they become you know, that's when you set yourself adrift uh, from the harbour and everybody kind of goes, oh, look at that boat. That's I like that. That's an interesting one, you know. And uh, I, I felt like that's what needed to happen in music because it was such a busy harbour that, you know, I just thought, how, how are we going to get noticed? You know, well, not going to get noticed too much being called rugby. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is one of our names. So, you know, it was that moment where, Haircut one hundred, that that stuck because that's a that's a great sale. That's um that looks that'll look great on a sale. Haircut one hundred. Okay, right, great. Yeah, you know, it was pop art, it was just different. And it's got a number in it, and it's a hundred, hundred percent, hundred percent commitment.
0: Ooh,
1: haircut. You know because we're obsessed with our hair, <laughs> you know, and getting it right, and getting finding the right barber. I mean, that's what we—that's all we did. It's like when you find the right barber, you know, you're just there. We couldn't find anybody to give us the the right hair uh, until we did. You know, in Olympia. So, did the name
2: Haircut One Hundred mean anything, or was it just how it looked?
1: Yeah, I was a—I was literally just a word fanatic um, and commercial artist. I was a commercial artist. They're working as a commercial artist, so words just meant type. You know, they meant advertising. They meant, like, to draw you in, to catch your eye. Um, They didn't even have to necessarily mean something in the same way like uh, in Japan when they just have English writing. That's what it is to them. So it could be, you know, I remember sort of seeing a a radio and it said, go bonkers, go jack in it. And you think, what does that mean? But it's just, you know, it's...
2: Yeah, it's like Spandau Ballet. (laughs) It's just... Yeah, no, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> sounds brilliant. It means you know it must mean yeah. something to somebody. You know, or t- yeah, <laughs> you know. it's just wordplay,
1: simple wordplay. Um, and and I, I'm not, you know, my education's at uh, uh, that particular point as well was just, you know, it wasn't, it was uh, I- immature. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I just so I made stuff up again. It was that that stuff. So I had I had you know had the mind to make stuff up that I couldn't really. I didn't know about.
2: Uh, yeah, well, that's creating, though, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's just, that's yeah. More, I, I liked Captain Pennyworth and Moving England. I thought they were good titles. Yeah, for yeah bands. they could have stuck. <laughs>
1: they could have stuck. I mean, um, you know, we, I think it would have been more indie if it had been Captain Pennyworth.
2: <laughs> it reminded me of sort of an Elton John vibe, you know, the uh, Captain Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, It reminded me of that sort of vibe of.
1: Well, I slept outside uh, all night to get Elton John tickets for the uh, C- Captain Fantastic tour.
2: Did you, and did you see it? Was it good?
1: It was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Got tickets right at the front. And uh, that's only because my mate Austin.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" They can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit slash weight loss. That's slash weight loss.
1: He's an Aries. And he, you know, everywhere you went with him, you always got in first. <laughs> and that was that, you know. We'd see, we'd, you know. I'd never, I'd been to the HDC loads of times, but never met them. And then I go with Austin and next minute we're sitting backstage with XTC talking to them because Austin,
2: you know, he's just like, yeah, yeah. Sure we can get in, you know. <laughs> Songwriting wise, when you um started, when you was writing things like My Favourite Shirt and Love Plus One and Fantastic Day, uh, they're sort of like love songs to a degree. Did you understand the meanings at the time? Like, was it, did you understand love? Did you have a girlfriend at the time or was it just writing from an outside perspective looking in at what you thought it was? Uh. Well, they they
1: were they were quite teenage lyrics, you know, because they were they were written on the on the go kind of thing, you know, like Fairy shirts just came because they were words live, and then when it came to record it as a single, it's like they were the latest words that they had that had stuck in my head because I used to just sing, and it wasn't kind of sitting down as a lyricist and writing, you know, that that kind of came later really. Fantastic Day I kind of did because um, I had just had a chorus. It was just a chorus for ages. Just It was like a learning to play and sing at the same time. So I remember consciously going, sitting down with my girlfriend Laura and going, you know, I'm going to write a verse. Right, okay. So all the influences around at that particular time were just shared in this song. You know, there was a great amount of strain about getting on the train every day and every night was was what I was doing every every morning, getting up and going to work as a commercial artist uh, on the on the tube. So, you know, when the down at the tube station at midnight was playing, so probably wouldn't have written that lyric if but I wasn't a jam fan and probably if punk hadn't come out. So you're always just influenced by all the things that are just around you at the time. And, you know, then being such a massive XTC fan and Squeeze and just such brilliant pop songs, Everywhere, so when you're trying, when you're sitting down and writing stuff, it's just an influence of everything you've heard up until that moment, and be and beyond. You know, you just you you are making new stuff as well. But it's just it filters through. You know, you take it in, and then you then it filters out, and then you're writing. You're like a prism, and you're writing your own version of it. It's almost like a, I think that's what it what it was as it comes in, and like then something else comes comes out that that's new. But uh, you just at that age you just want to be like the people you love mostly, but but you can't emanate them completely. So you do your version. And that's the thing a great thing about bands and, and then album influences. I mean, the producer Bob was just, just as much a band member really as anyone, you know. We didn't have a Marimba player, but he just he played Marimbas and uh, I remember going, Oh, that's that's good. That's good, Bob. I really like that. That's, um, you're thinking of like keeping that? It was like, because it was just going, ding, 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 little ding, ding, ding. He said, Oh, I I'd, I'd just like to get in there on a, on a record, <laughs> you know. I do it with a beat and it really annoys them, you know. But, but it's like, I'd, he just likes playing marimbas on things. So he's on, he's he's all over the beat playing marimbas. Yeah.
2: But I mean, it just works, doesn't it? Doesn't it? it just works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and that's the lovely thing about, working with somebody who's older and more experienced and we just looked up to him and thought he was you know he was our father at that particular time and guiding us into pop music and you know everybody's older than us at that particular point um and that's the way we look at it so we're just we're just learning and and um you know you don't you don't you're doing your best but you don't know really what's happening really you don't really know You know, and we were only 19. Well, you know, three of us were 19. You know, we had three more old, just slightly older guys in the band. They seemed to be a bit more uh, together.
2: Yeah. So when you was recording Pelican West, was it an easy album to make? Was it difficult? Was it
1: simple? Really? Yeah, really easy. Yeah, the backing tracks were all done in like a couple of days, really. Uh, And that was uh, Les on bass, uh, Blair on drums. And myself and the songs that we knew, Graham played in there too, and then we would just put them down. Like, Surprise Me Again was put down because we knew it so well. So it was just a take of Surprise Me Again. Favourite shirts, the same way. And then the songs that nobody knew yet, but they were straight out of my bedroom into, well, I think they could think of this one. And they would just play on it anyway, whether it was good or not, or they liked it or not. It was just a matter of playing it. Like, Snow Girl, I don't think anybody had... Heard, so that was kind of played in the in the in the studio, and uh, so that yes, I mean yeah. the most
2: interesting one for me on that is a uh, Lemon Fire Brigade. I, I just think that's really interesting because it starts as uh, a vocal and then just stops and just carries on with loads of music. I thought that's really an, an interesting approach to. You know, you think it's going to be a certain song and it just goes off. And, it, and it, I mean, House, that's not been sampled to death yet as well because that percussion section in that is amazing. Yeah, For anyone that yeah. hasn't heard it, on, go on Spotify and hear it. It's amazing, especially people that sample music. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. It's
1: just lovely, isn't it? I mean, I, I we, we were so chuffed to have Mark in the band properly around that time as well because before then, we just had him in the band because he was in another band as well because, you know, he was... Everybody wanted Mark in his band because he was a really good looking guy who played brilliant percussion. And you try finding a percussionist at all in around London at that particular time. And uh, yeah, he looked like one of Spandau. And uh, we were kind of South London scrags. We just thought, <laughs> oh, yes, this handsome man who could play a Latin American, Brazilian percussion. And he was so good. He was, I and mean, he could have been a session guy at the time and just played on everyone's records cuz he was a really good musician really a uh, percussionist so to have him in the band was just such an asset and you'd i remember you know like walking in and hearing more percussion over the the stuff as it as it was the cake was being made you know you go in and like o- overnight you'd you'd hear a section i remember i remember hearing lemon Fire Brigade when it was going to be in bill cuz at first it was just we need more funk songs live so, you know, I'd just play a bit and then go, okay, put some funk in the middle there. But, you know, just, it was a song I was kind of thinking, oh, and it, why, oh, why, lemon fabricate, why, why, you know, and I just thought, oh, that's a nice riff. So that was a bit like this kind of Johnny Marr thing where you're just putting some music together. But it's not really a song, but it's just, it just works live. You're playing it live. It's going down well. And when you're going, because that's a little guitar riff. And then it was nice when Phil uh, Smith picked it out on his soprano, which was to follow it, which gives it an instant kind of joy about that riff and that song. It's just suddenly, and then it looks like, oh, these guys can really play because we're playing together, you know, going... You know, and then having Blair in the band meant... We could actually go, and it's like, oh my God, we could actually sound, we could we could aspire to sound like Earth, Wind & Fire if we wanted, which was, you know, they were a big influence at that time. You know, I was working as a commercial artist in this place called Duck Lane somewhere just behind Wardle Street. And... There's a guy there and he just played Earth, Wind & Fire non-stop, every album. So I learned the whole thing because it was just every day. That's what it would play. So, you know, I those things, da, 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 all the brass lines were just swimming around my head during punk. You know, punk's kicking off. I'm going down to, to to sniffing glue on the corner to sort of look through the fantasies and go and see Chelsea and the Cortinas, you know. You know, and all of this and Ride to Work and The Eater
2: and you know, Generation X and then just listening to Earth Wind and Fire all day funny if my mum played them endlessly when I was growing up <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it was it, it's, it's Earth Wind and Fire Michael McDonald's Yomo Be There album they were the ones I remember oh, wow. that were just rotated constantly
1: and uh, and that's how it gets kind of like recycled, doesn't yeah. it? This, I, love them. I love them now.
2: Now I'm older. At yeah. the time you think, oh God, here we go again.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And then now yeah. I just, I mean like on my own from the Michael McDonald album is amazing. It's an amazing song. Yeah, like,
1: it's, it's its magic, isn't it? You hear it and just go, it's like looking at a Turner painting or something. You just go, how on earth, what the skill that's gone into that. You know, and you think, Michael McDonald, what a singer to developed and, and all the brilliant engineers and producers around that were working with them and players, all the players that were playing on all that stuff were top guys at the time. It's
2: just um, a lot of those American sounding records, they had this sort of warm glow over them. I can't explain it. Like they, they feel like wearing a jacket. They kind of just. It's like yeah. Zoom by Fat Larry's Band is another song. I can tell you where I was when I first heard that. I was probably nine years old. I was sitting on in my. Me and my mom had a flat. I was sitting on the carpet. Uh, I'd just eaten Weetabix. <laughs> and that came on the radio. And I remember it to this day, like, like watching a film. It's amazing. Like it's just yeah and you know that that
1: warm glow is probably confidence because that's the whole it's in the culture over there you know it's it's confidence and it optimism you know they will find a parking space you know the pessimism you get here is just in the culture <laughs> right. I, I still do it you know oh no it's full you know it's no it's not full yes it is you know it's, it's and um you you feel it with musicians as well you know you just have that you have that here that that you can feel the difference between American musicians and free. not 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 everyone, of course, but just generally, you can generalize with that. It's it's kind of known that there's this just kind of confident spirit um, that they have. It's not an ability, same ability, both sides, but it's just different cultures. And when you when you get that that warm glow, you hear you hear a fire, and you just go, it just swings. It's like hearing big band. American stuff it's just you know they, they play in
2: different places that are just pure optimistic joy and confidence you know like yeah I'm just going to go for it So when um, you was obviously Pelican West come out was you touring a lot at the time and writing at the same time because I know it was quite stressful for you to do both wasn't it It was was it was it really draining you at the time? Uh, the, well I didn't know how to say no
1: That I did not learn that one yet Um, so just just said yes to everything and just never said no. So I just worked. So I'd go from the studio up all night, then go and do a, you know, to the TV, do a TV and then not sleep again. And there was no drugs involved. Uh, so it was just on the adrenaline. So, and I just didn't know how to, how to pace myself really. So, so that was it really. So, getting i mean you I was watching um, normal people last night you know that fantastic show of, about the Irish couple going meeting at school and i've
2: seen that i think yeah
1: oh it's so good it's really really good writing and really wonderful act- acting and everything. it's really authentic about it and simple simple and authentic and um it's the same thing though you you can recover really quick when you're younger like that but it does it does, you think you've recovered, but like many young kids are finding out now with, you know, there's a lot of self-harm and there's kids needing more therapy and there's more stress around at a high level and people online. And there's just as much, it was probably just a, as much around then. It's just different. You just didn't deal with it. You've now got therapists and and people even in schools, you know, the they cover stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, I was one of those kids that was a bit sensitive to it. And so I just wasn't dealing with it too well. Um, but it didn't matter because I was so excited about everything at the same time. So you just go, oh, health? Who wants that, you know? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> sleep when I'm dead. Sleep?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't you know, no, I want to sleep. <laughs> too exciting, you know. <laughs> but it, it catches up on you.
2: Was that one of the reasons that the band you Parted Ways? Because of, you know just the stress. yeah just
1: not being able to communicate and and also we we had no management, so just imagine for a moment that Manchester United didn't have a manager or or Chelsea or any any team any any team without management is you know and everybody in the band is managing it and their parents
2: if you guys had took a you know a couple of months off do you think it would have worked or do you think it was you'd outgrown each other and musically you were changing or
1: uh i think I think the manager or you know yeah, would have definitely sorted it out because I think a lot of people around the same time had the same thing happen, you know? Yeah. It was a lot, but just, they would go through the same problems, but then they may, may be just having management or surviving through that, being able to communicate more. Then you're down to the, the individuals. Um, because, you know, n- nobody wanted to work with Jeff Emmerich. They didn't want to sound, you know, I wanted us to sound better. I did. i I was quite competitive. I, I heard it ABC, and I just thought, you know, the other bands. And I thought they sound better than uh, than us. So I don't want to just do the same thing. I want us to progress, and I think we sound a bit thin. It's good, but I want us to sound beefier because we did sound beefier live. Um, and you know, if you want to know what how old well haircut one hundred would have sounded like, it was it's North America. You know, that's that's what I wanted it to sound like you know. Um, so it would have sounded like that. We would have sounded, which we went down the wind would have been our first, probably number one, you know, sounding, same like that because Jeff was, you know, amazing. I mean, it's amazing. Just, to, you know, <laughs> to get to, to chance to work with him as well. I couldn't believe, but I was the only real Beatles fan at that particular time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. For people that don't know, we should say he was a Beatles producer and. A pioneer and an engineer, and he could rip anything apart and change anything and make it sound incredible. And
1: yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and 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 he just made um, "Imperial Bedroom" by Elvis Costello, which was the the, my album at that time. I just thought, this is how it was to sound. This is it. This is it. (laughs) Oh no, that's good. I can talk for hours about that period. It's such a in in lovely period of time, you know. And we're gonna we're releasing re-releasing Pelican West. Uh, for the fortieth anniversary, so I'm meeting up with Mark um, Fox uh, next week, and and Ben from Demon and Dal Eastley, who's a lovely man. Who is, I think it's I think it's him that's like behind the driving force behind it, really. You know, because he's such a, f- a fan of the the album, so. So I will think it would definitely be a labour of love because it was a labour of love, as Mark said to me the other day, for everyone making it. Yeah. Is there going to be like um,
2: bonus tracks and demo versions on, on the release? Yeah. yeah. The,
1: some of the second the album that was recorded and the manner that that didn't get finished, that'll be shared. I mean, I'd like to share as much as I possibly can. Um, I've heard most of it. Uh, and, you know, even even instrumentals, it'd be nice to share. Just they work in progress. Um, of the time they're not going to be finished because you, know, you can't go back to something that was started 40 years ago and sing over it you know I, I mean I, I've heard people do that and stuff it's it's alright
2: So if um, people want to catch you are you out touring at the moment or where's the best place to get some of your new albums? Just doing
1: dates you know just uh, because of the COVID I didn't know whether indoor dates were going to happen so didn't plan any kind of like touring as such but then then there's outdoor. I thought it was just all outdoor. So I got outdoor dates like Let's Rocks and things like that, where it's nine. nine I got a nine-piece band, full brass section, percussion, and we we do. You know, I do old songs like Favorite Shirts and Atlantic Monday, and uh, yeah, really, really good, good band. And then I'll just go out and do a kind of Crosby, Stills, Nash with three, like three-part harmony of, of the songs and stuff. With with Anthony and Adam from the band, which is which I enjoy. I did that at Gary Crowley's night the other night, and it's just it's just love that. And it's just a bit like, you know, when you're doing it, you're just going, "Oh, this is this is interesting." Because I didn't start out like this, so to suddenly, you know, I've ne- I've actually still never listened to Crosby, Stills. I mean, I've heard the odd thing, but I love the harmonies, of course. But um, just getting into that more, just getting into harmonies and and stuff, and with the help of Anthony, who's He's got really, you know, he he likes to put sort of put harmonies together. And he's got perfect pitch and things. So that it's really helpful doing that. He'll know what, what the harmony is immediately. Like, you know, classically trained. So he will go, ah, oh, da 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 da. But, you know, I came from that punk, make it up as you go along. <laughs> so I go, oh, that sounds beautiful. But I have to know, I just, it's by a process of feeling, fumbling through the dark that I get there. I just, I just feel it, you know, still to this day. And the trouble is with the feelers you can feel your way but you have to feel by mistakes as well
2: we have to learn that way so it's just but I don't mind I don't mind that well when you make a mistake you can call it jazz because there's no mistakes in jazz so (laughs) yeah exactly but even there, you'd have to know what not to. <laughs> you know, it's jazz and then there's avant garde, isn't it? So we're like, oh. <laughs> well, I mean, what can I say, Nick? Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. Really nice chatting to you, man. If you enjoyed today's
0: episode, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review.